It says there will be peace, peace in the nations. Now we'll talk about that and more. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible in one year. And today as we study Zechariah 9, this gets very interesting, doing that in about five minutes. So get ready to do that. Also, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm gonna be taking a look at Zechariah 9 and Christ's so-called triumphal entry. Ryan? Today, to go along with our reading in Zechariah, I want to talk about the strong influence women had in the palaces in ancient times, specifically the queen and the queen mother. Very interesting. And Janice, what did you do? Yes, well, of course, it's Friday. That means we have a question for Ryan and Corey to answer, and you as well. I can ask it anywhere from Nahum all the way through to Zechariah chapter 11. Get ready. That's incredible. Okay, take out your Bible guide. Let's look at the Bible, the most important book of all, and let's hear what God is saying to us right now. Zechariah 9, 9 through 17. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness, and how great its beauty! Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Zechariah chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. That's what we read today. And it's interesting. The world is not in a good place right now. Culture clashes, political turmoil, conspiracies and plots and warfare. I mean, is it possible for 8 billion people of the world to actually get along? 
Looking around at the state of the world makes us ask some very natural questions. Why is there so much conflict? Can we not get along? What does this say about human nature? How do we stop the, the cycles of evil? Whose answer is the right answer? You know, people thrive when they have stability. So it's natural for us to want to fix our surroundings, even to want to control the world around us. But what is right? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that it is only by following God that humanity will find true safety. God's will and his work in this world is critical. Without the light of the world, we are left in dark paths. And it's tempting to believe in a more hopeful human story that we have somehow morally evolved to a higher plane of existence is obvious. We haven't. This is obviously not true. We have more destructive weapons today than ever before in history. God has been right all along. If we don't deal with our sin nature, evil rules, takes advantage of us. The only way to deal with sin is to come to God through the work of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And God can and will help us if, if we humble ourselves and ask for his forgiveness and we let him change us. Let God change us. People can change, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's very important. As we begin to embark on this journey today of the ninth chapter to the 11th chapter, we need to understand that the first chapter deals with judgment against Israel's enemies and Zion's coming king, which is fascinating. And the second chapter, chapter 10, the Lord will restore his people. And then in chapter 11, good and evil shepherds, the leaders of the people. Very interesting. And I would say that uh, this is really important as we study the coming king. Uh, we're going to focus on chapter 9, verses 9 to 17 today. Take your Bible guide and turn with us to this particular passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call or write today. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You hear me do this all the time. I'm going to continue to do this in case somebody new happens to be listening. BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Go there and click on the Bible guide. Make a donation. Thank you for your donations. Very important and very helpful. And uh, then it takes you to a page where you can download it all your own. So you're seconds away from joining us on this journey through the Bible and Zechariah. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us what these scriptures mean. Father, help us today. Teach us your way and show us your path. According to your word, this is what we believe. It's not a book of fables. No, it's not. It's not a, a wasted document. It's not. It's your word. And we recognize that. Now help us as people, as we read this, not to put our thoughts into it, but to listen to what your thoughts are out of it. So it changes our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Make it so. That's what amen means. Make it so and make it so, Lord. All right, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Watch this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation. 
lowly and riding on a donkey. Now, this is written in the Old Testament times. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Also quoted in Psalm 72. You see, beloved, when God the King reigns, there is peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has done the work against sin and has given us salvation. Jesus has done the work against sin. You know, the Lord has already done the work. And a lot of people, they say, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that because I've got to get right with God. No, you don't. The Lord, you can't do anything to make your sin go away. God is the only one who can forgive you. What you can do is pray to the Lord, talk to God and say, Father, forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, was your son and he'll take away my sin. Take away my sin and give me the ability to follow you as I make you Lord of my life. Very important. Now keep that in mind and let's go on to chapter 9, verse 11. As for you also, because the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah, my bow fitted, the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of the mighty man. Do you hear what God is saying here? God is orchestrating his soldiers for peace, not for war. You see, the Lord is conquering, is our conquering Savior. God has conquered. He's already done the work. And he has conquered. He won the battle. He said to his father when he was hanging on the cross 2,000 years ago, the work is finished. It is finished. And so, beloved, we need to understand that as Christians, as Christ followers. Now, let's read this last portion. It's interesting. Then the Lord will be seen over them and his arrow will go forth like the lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south, that storms from the south. And the Lord of hosts will defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as a flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown lifted like a banner over his land, for how great is the goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and the new wine and the young women. Now, listen carefully. This is God's point. God will save his people. That's the point of God. That's what he's done. The Lord is our victorious king. So when we say, when a Christian says God is victorious, I read the back of the book and we win. He's telling the truth. We do. 
This is exactly what God does. So I would invite you today to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and make him Lord of your life. Pray to him and say, Father, forgive me for my sin. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Well, it's time now to continue on with our Bible study. And today we read Zechariah 9 through 11. And as I mentioned yesterday, Zechariah lived around the same time period as Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And I thought it would be interesting to look at the strong influence that leading women had in the palaces at that time. Now, we seem to see a hint of this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6. See, in this chapter, Nehemiah is asking the king for permission to go back to rebuild his native city. Well, the king does give his permission, but the Bible says that he does so with the queen sitting beside him. Now, that's a pretty interesting note, and it might be that the queen actually influenced the king's decision. Well, let's study. Just as God elevated the Jewish Esther to a position of great power and authority in the foreign land of Persia, so too would he elevate Nehemiah. And the rising up of both individuals was for similar purpose, to help secure the future of the Israelites. While Esther became queen to King Xerxes, Nehemiah would become cupbearer to Xerxes' son and heir to the throne, Artaxerxes. The very fact that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king means that he was a trusted advisor and high-ranking Persian official. And as the one who tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned, it also means that Nehemiah enjoyed a position close enough to the king that he was able to communicate freely with him. Still, what Nehemiah was about to do was very risky business, because the etiquette of the Persian court was very strict. Nevertheless, he entreats the king to send him back to his own city so that he can rebuild it. To Nehemiah's great relief, the king, with the queen at his side, grants his request. This detail the Bible gives regarding the presence of the queen is by no means irrelevant. In fact, it may suggest that she positively influenced the king. This is certainly in line with the traditional role of the queen, which was to influence her husband to follow a kinder and gentler way. But just who was this woman? In regards to her title, the Hebrew word for queen in this passage is used only here and in Psalm chapter 45 verse 9 and means royal bride. It's actually a loan word from Akkadian, which literally means woman of the palace. The Aramaic equivalent is found only in Daniel chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 and verse 23 where it is translated as wives and concubines. Although it was customary for the Persian emperors to have several wives and concubines, only one was elevated to the position of queen. As far as her identity is concerned, Titius, a Greek who lived at the Achaemenid court, informs us that the name of Artaxerxes' queen was Demaspia and that he had at least three concubines. Significantly, the Achaemenid court was notorious for the great influence exercised by the royal women, whether that influence be positive or negative. Thus, this queen likely had a great positive influence on Artaxerxes, which certainly would have helped Nehemiah's cause. Also, since Esther was the queen of the previous king Xerxes and stepmother to Artaxerxes, 
it's very possible that she also influenced the present king and queen to be favorably disposed to the Jews. Ahasuerus died only 13 years after Esther became queen, so she no doubt lived far into the reign of her stepson Artaxerxes. Thus, in the ancient world, the queen, as the chief woman of the palace, greatly influenced their kings. In Nehemiah's case, God clearly had already gone before his people, the Israelites, to make their paths straight for their return to the Promised Land. So the Lord God raised up both Esther and Nehemiah to powerful and influential positions in the Persian Empire, which helped to secure the future of the Israelites. And it seems Esther's influence may have even continued on into the time of Nehemiah. It could be that Esther, as stepmother and perhaps even queen mother to Artaxerxes, would have had a very positive influence on both him and his queen. And in turn, the queen would have probably also positively influenced Artaxerxes, as the Bible seems to hint at in Nehemiah 2.6. The accounts of Esther and Nehemiah, as well as the prophecies of Zechariah, remind us that God is sovereign and therefore is always in control, even when it seems to us like he isn't. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at Esther, Nehemiah, and of course Ezra, there are men who are important, but there are women who are important. Absolutely. And Esther is the yeah. only book in the Bible that doesn't seem to have the name of God mentioned in it. So it's fascinating. It really is. It really is. And also women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, too, in which fact, is... fact, they are. ...which is very rare for Jewish genealogies. That's absolutely right. And on the next program, that's exactly where we're going into uh, Matthew. And that's mm, the genealogy that's of Jesus. That's right, yeah. And some of the names are really incredible because you've got Rahab, you've got some Moabite women, Ruth. Mm -hmm. You have very interesting names there, so it's good. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, Corey. All right. Well, I am also focusing on Zechariah 9 today, but I wanted to, uh, you know, begin my focus in Zechariah 9, 9, which uh, is the famous prophecy of Zechariah that's quoted in Matthew and John in these gospels. And it's in relation to Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling this prophecy of Zechariah, which is really, really interesting. So let's take a look at it. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is recorded by all four Gospels. This event is remembered yearly by Christians as beginning the final days of Christ's ministry before his crucifixion. There are two notable Old Testament references recorded by the Gospels. First, they all have the crowd welcoming Jesus by laying cloaks and branches to carpet the roadway with cries of praise from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is about victory and salvation coming from God to Jerusalem. It contains reference to the stone that the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone, a theme picked up on by the prophets Isaiah and Zechariah in reference to the Messiah and is used in the New Testament of Jesus. The significance of this was not lost on the Pharisees whose alarm is recorded in Luke and John. The second Old Testament reference is recorded in Matthew and John, and it's a claim that Jesus' entry on a donkey's colt was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9. John adds that this fulfillment wasn't immediately apparent to the disciples, but only after Christ's glorification did they connect all of the dots. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. The chapter goes on to speak of the victory of God's people over their oppressors and how God, the shepherd and king, will save his people and give them peace. Zechariah's prophecy of the king and the donkey reaches back to Israel's history and her earlier prophets. The image of a king riding lowly or afflicted on a donkey recalls to mind King David. David, the man whose line the Messiah would come from. David was once forced to leave Jerusalem in mourning when his son Absalom successfully took the kingdom from him. The Bible tells us that the remaining family of rejected King Saul provided donkeys for David to ride. David is eventually vindicated and brought back to Jerusalem while struggling to prevent a civil war. David, the great-grandfather of the Messiah, was victorious over the rebellion, but he had been brought low by his own sin. Now, Zechariah saw the future Messiah victoriously and lowly entering Jerusalem on a donkey and securing great peace for the people. He no doubt reckoned back also to the prophet Isaiah's image of the suffering servant, a king in the line of David who suffered not for his own sin like David, but rather for our sin. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. A different kind of victory was coming for the people of God in Jerusalem. Not one over a physical enemy, but over a greater and darker one. Their sin would be atoned for once and for all. Christ would fulfill his role as the suffering servant and take his place as the king who brings peace. You know, this is one of the ways that you can find tremendous enjoyment and, and enrichment in reading the prophets of the Bible, because we see, you know, it, it reaches Zechariah here, even though he's an Old Testament prophet himself, he's living in the time period of the Persian Empire. He reaches back in history, not only to the, the united monarchy uh, of, of King David, but he also reaches back into Isaiah and more. There's more, you know, as you continue reading through Zechariah, there's more illusions that he has to scripture that has come before himself. And so by the time we get into the New Testament, where it's hearkening back now to Zechariah, it's very interconnected. So these kinds of studies where you focus in on a prophecy fulfilled and, and, and see where it originated from, it can be tremendously enriching and fulfilling. Yeah, it, it is. And of course, this is fascinating. We've been studying the prophets, the book of the 12, really. And, and as we do that, we're going into the New Testament, uh, you know, next program. I'm very excited about that, by the way. And the New Testament is an excellent book, the second part of the Bible, and I think it's great. Now, what do you do on the weekend? On the weekend, my husband and I do a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap. We release it on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. So it gets you caught back up. If you've fallen behind in your weekly reading, because we know it's really fast, it would get you caught back up so that you can just start again on Sunday with your reading and not, you know, fall hopelessly behind. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so it's on video on demand, but it's also on Bible Discovery TV, the network. And the network is there 24-7 streaming uh, the different programs we do, like, for example, yeah. Quick Study. This program's on Bible Discovery TV. And your reading is on Bible Discovery mm -hmm. TV, too. And that's excellent, Corey. So that's very good. And uh, anyway, so we're starting the New Testament Monday. Yes, we are. we are. Yes, we are. It's going to be great. Uh, okay. What about this question? The question. You know, I've had many people confront me so far this year saying, the questions are really difficult. You know what? It's good to be challenged, isn't it? 
It is. Yes, and it is. You know, we're not going to get our answers right all the time, are we? So no. this is another way that we can learn and have fun with it. So if you don't always get the question, the answer right. That's okay. Now that you justified it, what's the question? <laughs> well, we do have a lot of time, so we don't have to push it too quickly, Rod. I'm curious. All right, here we go. <laughs> here we go. All right. So I could ask for those of you that might be new viewers. We do have assigned reading throughout the week, and so every Friday, what I do is I go back seven days and take. From whatever our assigned reading is, I can look through the Bible and decide where I am going to get that question from. So this question today is based anywhere from the book of Nahum all the way through to Zechariah 11. Now here it comes, Rod. That's that's incredible. Yes. So here it comes. During the second year of King Darius, Haggai brought the word of the Lord with the command to build God's house to the governor of Judah and the high priest. Who was the high priest at that time? I'm going to reread the question without any interruption. I didn't say anything. I didn't. <laughs> so here it is. During the second year of King Darius, Haggai brought the word of the Lord with the command to build God's house, and he brought that to the governor of Judah and to the high priest. Who was the high priest at that time? Now here are your three answers. Number one, Zerubbabel. Number two, Shealtiel. Number three, Joshua. Here's your choices: Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, or Joshua. So, you guys are on the hot spot today. What <laughs> right. is your answer? Well, Corey is really sure about this. I'm very sure. Answer. So I'm、Indeed. going to defer to her. All right. Her answer this one. Well, so you're deferring to her. <laughs> well, she's just. Itching to answer this. <laughs> well, because all of those names are mentioned in Haggai,、hey, but Zerubbabel is the son of Shealtiel, and Zerubbabel is the governor, and Joshua is the high priest. Now, did you hear that? He deferred to her. No,、Can、I'm. At, that? We heard that, but we're also hearing the answer. That's I what I want to to focus on right now. So. That is absolutely true. That is the right answer. It is Joshua, and you need to check me on that. Always do. So Haggai chapter one, you will read that in verse one, in verse twelve, and verse fourteen. And good bonus. If I had bonus confetti at the moment or a bonus whatever, <laughs> I would give it to you because that that's absolutely true. Very good. Glad very, you don't very have good. confetti though. <laughs> I want to welcome you to come to our prayer meeting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3:30 Eastern Time in, of course, the United States of America on Facebook and YouTube. But Bible Discovery TV, we're always there, and we'll pray for your needs as we pray for the world and all the things going on. It's a very important time of prayer. But today, let's pray this way: Lord, give my life. I give my life to to follow you. Help me to hear you. Help me to know your way and understand your path in Jesus' name. 